this interview was supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Beatrice. Beatrice had no role in the selection of the topics or the selection of the speakers and has not vetted or reviewed the content of any of the interviews. The views expressed by speakers are their own and may not necessarily represent the views of the IMS. Hello, I'm Dr. Marla Shapiro and I sit on the board of trustees of the International Menopause Society and today we're joined by Dr. Tim Hillard. Tim, could you introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, hello, I'm Tim Hillard. I'm a consultant gynecologist in University Hospitals Dorset in England, and I'm a member of the IMS. I've been on the board since 2016 and a past president of the British Menopause Society. So no one better than to talk to us about a concern that many clinicians have, which is how to treat menopausal women who've had gynecological cancers. So let's go through some of those gynecological cancers and how we might have an approach. Um, so I think among you know our top list are things like endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer, cervical cancer. Let's talk in general um, about an overview of, let's say, endometrial cancer. Okay, well, I mean, I think the first thing to highlight is that when someone has had a diagnosis of cancer and had treatment, that, that in itself is quite, can be very devastating. And on top of that, you often have menopausal symptoms either developing after treatment or maybe coexistent while they're having treatment. So quite often these symptoms are, are not thought about um, as much because they're the most focused on the cancer, but it's important we recognize that women can have quite significant impact to these symptoms, so we need to help them with it. So let's say a woman has gone through her treatment for um, endometrial cancer and has had typically a hysterectomy. Well, usually they would have their ovaries removed and, and then that, that results in the menopause if they haven't had it already. And therefore, we need to consider whether or not hormone replacement therapy is the right treatment. I think general principle in after and gynecological cancer like endometrium, which is hormone sensitive, one would try and avoid hormone treatment if you can. But if the symptoms are significant, then hormone replacement therapy does become an option. Most of the evidence we have, although it is not strong evidence, suggests that using hormone replacement or menopause hormone treatment after endometrial cancer is okay. The risk of recurrence is very low. And I think it is a reasonable option to consider, but we don't have all conclusive data to say that it's absolutely safe. So I think we would always be cautious about this and discuss it, weigh up the pros and cons for each individual woman as to whether or not it's appropriate. So would it be prudent to first start with our non-hormonal treatments for hot flashes and night sweats? Yes, I think I think that would be the way I would go. I think it's perfectly reasonable to use vaginal oestrogens uh, uh, in this situation to help with generative urinary symptoms. But uh, for systemic treatment, I think if we can manage the symptoms with the non-hormonal methods, then that would be preferable because that really doesn't encounter any risk at all. And should that not be, and, and you know, you have a, a woman who can give an informed consent, would the route of administration make a difference in terms of whether you were choosing something that was transdermal or oral? Um, I'm not sure the route would necessarily make a difference, although the age group of patients we're probably dealing with would lend us to probably opt for a transdermal therapy if we could. But if for some reason they couldn't tolerate that, then I don't think unless there's another contraindication, oral therapies out of the question, the, the impact on any recurrence of endometrial cancer, for instance, is probably going to be the same whichever way you give the hormone treatment. And let's move on to ovarian cancer. Often these women are in a younger age group and our therapy will often put them into an abrupt menopause surgically. So what can we do for these women? 
Well, I think it's important to, to recognize the impact this can have on them and to have an open discussion with them. On the whole, I don't think we would really think ovarian cancer is a reason not to prescribe uh, hormone replacement. And indeed, because of the young age, the, this, the impetus for having it is actually quite strong. So particularly if they're under 45, then there really is a strong basis for them having the treatment. I think one has to be careful with ovarian cancer about the subtype of, of ovarian cancer we're talking about, as there are a couple of ovarian cancer subtypes that one would be a little bit more cautious about, such as the granulosa cell tumour, where they are oestrogen sensitive. But the vast majority of ovarian cancers are not, and therefore usually it's okay to prescribe hormone replacement therapy in these situations. And for our women who are doing risk reduction surgery, in other words, they don't have ovarian cancer, but at a young age, they're doing risk reduction because of a genetic predisposition towards ovarian cancer. Often these women are very reluctant, um, both from a breast point of view or an ovarian point of view, even though their surgery is risk reducing. Uh, absolutely. And, and I mean, ideally, we see these women to discuss it before they have their ovaries removed. So they, they have that decision made as an informed choice. But if you pick them up at a later stage, I think you do have to balance the, 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 the risks for them against the risks of having an early menopause, which is untreated. Um, overall, I think it's considered that the although the background risk of breast cancer might be increased in that individual, taking hormone replacement doesn't increase it in them any more than it does in anybody else. And therefore, it's still a very reasonable option. But they do need to have that information available to them. Mm -hmm. Now, for many of us who are seeing cervical cancer, um, let's talk about that, because that, that certainly does have a prevalence across all age groups. Yes, it does. And, and uh, the, the cervix is not uh, estrogen sensitive in that, that sense. And therefore, cervical cancer, first of all, they don't always remove the ovaries. So in a young woman, you might have ovarian sparing surgery or uh, radiotherapy. But um, when they become menopausal, there is no reason why they can't have hormone replacement therapy. Um, the only uh, difference to that would be the adenocarcinoma of the cervix, which is a relatively small group. And in those situations, the evidence we have being very limited is that it doesn't make a, any increased risk of recurrence. But I think one would be a little bit more cautious about using it in, in that group. But overall, for women who've had either cervical cancer or even abnormal cervical cytology, there is no reason why they can't take hormone replacement if they need it. And are there any other malignancies that we should be thinking about specifically? Um, well, the, the rarer cancers, such as vulval and vaginal cancers, uh, are often rare. They often present at later age groups, so they're less likely to be in this context having menopausal problems. But they are not considered to be hormone sensitive. So in that situation, it's perfectly OK to prescribe hormone replacement as you would uh, for anybody else. And when we look at our large group of women with breast cancer, and let's, let's break it up um, between uh, estrogen negative and progestin receptor negative breast cancers as opposed to ERPR positives. Does that divide the treatment opportunities? Yes, I think it does. I mean, I think one, one would always be cautious and anyone who's had a previous diagnosis of breast cancer, but obviously if the tumor was hormone receptor negative, then that does give you some degree of reassurance that you're not going to get a recurrence of that tumor. But the data do tell us that women who've had a uh, estrogen receptor negative tumor are statistically more likely to get another tumor which might be estrogen receptor positive so one always has to bear that in mind and be cautious um, but if other event other methods haven't worked then hormone replacement therapy could be an option for those women and just a word of reassurance um, i think for clinicians who i think are largely reassured in this area but some still remain a little bit trepidation that even if you have uh, an estrogen 
positive breast cancer, the role of vaginal estrogen. So vaginal estrogens can be really helpful. And these, I think these symptoms are often overlooked. Um, they can be very distressing and relatively easily fixed. So in general terms, I think vaginal estrogen preparations are perfectly acceptable in women who've had previous breast cancer. But I think one has to, to weigh up the pros and cons and be cautious uh, because although we have no evidence that it causes an increase in recurrent risk, there's always a theoretical possibility. So I think caution is, is advised, but with appropriate discussion with the patient, I think vaginal estrogens can be used. The exception to that would be women on aromatase inhibitors, where you really shouldn't be using vaginal estrogen preparations. And what I sometimes do is discuss with their oncologist about switching them to our tamoxifen, uh, and then they can use tamoxifen concurrently with the vaginal estrogens. And is that because we see more um, such atrophy, such thinning with the AIs that there's more a systemic absorption with a vaginal estrogen? What would the reason be there? Um, no, it's more the, the mode of action, really. Um, and with tamoxifen, it, it is blocking the receptors. So even if you do get a small amount of systemic absorption, it's going to be blocked from the receptors. Whereas uh, if you're using it with aromatase inhibitors, the, the whole point of aromatase inhibitor really is to, to demolish any estrogen that's available. Um, so yes, and you do get more severe symptoms with aromatase inhibitors. Um, so particularly in a sort of relatively early postmenopausal woman, that can have quite a negative effect on their vulva and vagina. And tamoxifen doesn't seem to have quite such a severe, severe effect. And, you know, whereas we say for the average woman, there isn't necessarily a mandatory stop date for menopausal hormone therapy. I imagine in these gynecological cancers, one would be looking at uh, it being a temporary measure to be able to get them off sooner than later if possible. Yes, I think I think it's always individualized, but I think one would always be cautious and review regularly to make sure that the they were getting the desired effect and then look to see it at trying to come off it at an earlier stage so that they can maintain the benefits of their treatment without running any particular risks. But obviously it's always a balance. And I mean, some people do opt to stay on it for longer periods of time, but that, that's an individual choice. Thank you so much for joining us today and walking us through the world of gynecological malignancies in relationship to menopause. Thank you.